0: Step into the Liberty Layer with your host, Aaron Strong. This is The Aaron Strong Show. Welcome in. Socialized medicine rears its ugly head. Say what? Not surprised. Also, we cover the Federalist Papers along with Love It or Hate It. All that coming up right now. Hey everyone, we are in the Liberty Lair. Thank you for joining. I'm sorry for not having a Friday show. We had some technical issues, finally got things fixed, recorded, and the audio sounded terrible. We don't really know why yet. We're working on it. I don't want to talk about it anymore. What matters is we are here right now. We have a full show ahead, which includes some love it or hate it at the end so don't miss it. Joe Biden is not allowed in the Liberty Lair, so we can all feel safe in our safe space here. Uncle Joe will not be inappropriately touching us here, therefore we can begin. We hear on the news all the time, all the time about socialized medicine. We hear these politicians like Bernie, AOC, Obama talk about how we need to be more like Europe or Canada. Look, our healthcare is so much more expensive than Canada. We must cut costs! What? (laughs) So so what they don't like to cover is the real socialized medicine scenarios, such as what we see with the NHS, or in China. NHS is the National Healthcare Service in England. But hey, it's free, right? doesn't matter how good it is, right? I think it matters. So we seem to be living in this bubble where people are advising without practical experience. We aren't even going to go into Venezuela because it's a complete disaster, and that's all we have to say about that, including their healthcare. There is a pretty good reason the Democrats like to run on socialized medicine platform. They tie it in with things like education, food, housing. You have students paying off loans for their degree in women's studies who are also finding housing in overregulated urban markets, and they are unable to get health care, even after Obamacare. Did you keep your doctor? As you can see, this sounds pretty attractive to people if you offer up something for free. And let's be real, we all like free. It's an easy platform to run on. It doesn't take much explaining on their part, and it will lock in voters that see the issues above and believe it's due to a rich man or some other factor other than their own choices. The president's Council of Economic Advisers documented in its recent economic report of the president, the CEA report, The historical evidence suggests that the proposed socialist program for the US would create shortages or otherwise degrade the quality of whatever product or service is put under a public monopoly. The pace of innovation would slow and living standards generally would be lower. There are instances around the world where socialist policies are implemented and production ends up falling up to 50% in those industries. There's already complaining due to a limited supply of healthcare companies in the United States. Well, guess what? This stems from some sort of socialized system, and it's heavily regulated. So not only is it heavily regulated, but it goes through employers, and this limits your ability to shop. There's just not many private options out there. When a healthcare company goes through through your company, you are paying a premium that subsidizes other issues. For example, if you are a male who is obvious obviously unable to have a child. That's right, if you did have a child, you are not a male. If you are a male, you are paying a premium that subsidizes the cost of having to do with something like pregnancy or issues that someone else might have that you don't. You are paying to subsidize part of that, that cost. So we would not only be having an already competitive lacking environment due to regulation, we would be allowing the government to have the monopoly. So there is no competition. And people would say, well, the military is is kind of a monopoly, but at the same time, the military deals with private, private contracts. Everything is contracted out in the military. Meanwhile, there are some recent headlightings regarding the UK system, which we will go into in a second. A report that was just released on Saturday revealed thousands of elderly people in Britain are left to go blind because of the rationing of eye surgery. This is the result of a NHS cost-cutting drive that relies on them dying before they can actually qualify for cataract surgery. Sorry, grandmas. No surgery for you. A survey by the Royal College of Ophthalmologists found that NHS has ignored instructions to end cataract treatment rationing, which ignored official guidance. Miss Helen Lee of the Royal National Institute of Blind People say, said, Cataracts can have a dramatic impact on someone's ability to lead a full and independent life potentially stopping them from driving and increasing their chance of serious injury by falling. The NICE guidelines make it clear cataract surgery is highly cost effective and should not be rationed. It is nonsensical for clinical commissioning groups to deny patients this crucial treatment. So they were completely ignoring that and rationing the care anyway. Because they don't have unlimited resources. Unfortunately, the NHS isn't quite off the chopping block yet unlike their cancer patients another story out of the uk this weekend involves their cancer screening procedures currently waiting times for patients requiring cancer screenings are at an all-time high this and the lack of a substance used to screen for cancerous cells karen stalbo head of policy at prostate cancer uk said some men are facing lengthy delays in confirming their prognosis as scans are repeatedly canceled at short notice due to the shortage she goes on to say this causes major stress and anxiety for these men, leaving some with little choice but to pay around 1,500 pounds for a scan which uses PSMA tracers as an alternative cho- uh, choice. These scans are currently only available privately, while some men even travel abroad to get access. So you have free healthcare, but you still have to go abroad. And this is something that it needs to be detected quickly, or else it can spread. So these delays can be life-threatening. NHS providers must take immediate action to ensure the PET-CT scans are available to all men with suspected prostate cancer recurrence, starting first with, the restoring, with restoring the supply of, cho- uh, of choices and then progressing the commissioning of a more effective tracer. And that was also from, uh, from uh, Karen Stabo. NHS England has responded saying the issue has been resolved, but people like Richard Taylor from London says otherwise. He is having his procedure done weeks after he should actually be having it. And this is the harsh reality, and I have no belief that it will get better in England, because this is what happens. Americans really need to be paying attention to the rationing of care in these developed countries where it shouldn't be an issue, because if we try something similar, I guarantee we end up in the same boat. Bernie Sanders can go on stage all day and talk about how our cost is higher than other countries, but at least the care is available, and he will not explain to you how he plans on getting those costs down. And the truth is, he doesn't have a plan. In a minute, we'll go over some of the Federalist Papers next, and more specifically Federalist Number 10, but first, a word from our sponsor. There's this new book out now called On Fire by G. Stone Johnson that I really enjoyed. It is a true-life adventure spanning a 30-year career of a firefighter paramedic. It is filled with more than 66 calls, including house and condo fires, rescues, medical emergencies, gunshot wounds, and vehicle traumas. G. Stone Johnson was able to put you in his place to feel what it was really like to be a frontline first responder. He helps you experience what it feels, sounds, and even smells like being alone in a raging house fire. After a busy day of fires and rescues, finally return to the firehouse and laugh at the firehouse antics and all the pranks pulled on each other. Sit down with my brother and sister firefighters for a nice hot dinner when all of a sudden the alarm rings and we start all over again. This book is a must-read for anyone interested in becoming a uh, first responder or just interested in the topic in general. You can get On Fire on Amazon.com and on Kindle, but you must type On Fire by G. Stone Johnson. It really is a good read. Everyone go check it out. Alright, Federalist Papers. First off, what are the Federalist Papers? The Federalist Papers involve some of the most important writings leading to the passage of the U.S. Constitution. These were a series of 85 essays urging citizens of New York to ratify the United States Constitution. It's kind of funny because they, they probably wouldn't ratify it today. The, the essays were written by Alexander Hamilton, James Madison, and John Jay. Even though they were one of the most important sources for understanding the original intent behind the Constitution, they published them anonymously in 1787 and 1788 under the pen name Publius. Over the coming weeks, I'm hoping that we can share more of these essays and explain them and more of the documents that were in the country's founding because we will gain a more under, uh, better understanding of how the Founding Fathers argue, actually argued for the Constitution, not just what the Constitution says now. Now going back to Federalist Number 10, the main point behind the essay is that the way the Constitution is set up, it will help defeat factions, or tribalism if you want to look at it that way, or certain groups of people that can rise up and have power over the minority. There are a few things he touches on here. How to prevent factions. One is by removing the faction's cause, and two is by controlling its effects. Then Madison goes on to explain those two messes of curing the mischiefs of faction. He says there are, again, two methods of removing the causes of faction, the one by destroying the liberty, which is essential to its existence, and the other by giving to every citizen the same opinions, the same passions, and the same interests. So, completely destroying liberty, or training everyone to be the same and have the same interests. Obviously, destroying liberty is worse than the actual disease. Madison says, liberty is to faction what air is to fire, an ailment without which it instantly expires. But it could not be less folly to abolish liberty, which is essential to political life, because it nourishes faction, than it would be to wish the annihilation of air, which is essential to animal life, because it imparts to fire its destructive agency. There will always be material inequalities in a free society because people have different abilities, they have different passions. And that's something that Alex talked about on his podcast recently, and why people naturally get paid differently based on the choices that they make and the skills that they have. We are opposed to removing liberty, obviously. I mean, our podcast name is The Liberty or Death Podcast. That's one of the things allowing our republic to succeed, which, honestly, we're currently losing it. We're losing that liberty. And that leaves us with the second option, controlling the effects of factions. He makes an argument that it is less likely to have a controlling faction in a large republic than in a small republic because the aspiring representatives have to receive more votes to be elected. So this would prevent anyone who is in a smaller party um, that has no experience at all or has terrible views to rise up and actually get voted in by that small group of people. It's harder to be motivated by a large number of people to get behind one view. This prevents the majority from curbing the rights of others. In his own words, Madison says, it will be more difficult for unworthy candidates to practice with success other vicious arts by which elections are too often carried. This is another argument for the Electoral College which is currently under attack. If we removed that, we'd be a direct democracy. In a democracy you would have just you would have the majority all over the place voting for one policy and then the minority has no voice at all. Remember, we are not a democracy. The biggest differences are the smaller number of people voted in by the rest and the greater number of citizens and the greater sphere of the country over which the latter may be extended, meaning the the republic can be bigger than a democracy. One major aspect is the belief that everything is more local around the country and then more of a republicanism type of government on broader issues. This would decrease the likelihood of a single party or group rising up. Another quote from Madison: The influence of factious leaders may kindle a flame within their particular states, but will unable to spread a general conf- uh, conflagration through the other states. A religious sect may degen- uh, degenerate into a political faction in part of the confederacy, meaning a group of Christians or Jewish people can't. They can take part in their state, but they wouldn't be able to come up on a national level to institute some type of uh, religious government. He goes on to say but the variety of sects dispersed over the entire face of it must secure the national councils against any danger from that source. A rage for paper money, for an abolition of debts, for an equal division of property, or for any other improper or wicked project will be less apt to pervade the whole body of the union than a particular member of it. In the same proportion as such, a malady is more likely to taint a particular country or district than an entire state. So it might be focused in one small area, but it can't be spread to the entire country. What's funny about this is Democrats want to abolish this type of thinking by abolishing the Electoral College. This, in turn, limits diversity. It prevents certain groups of people from being heard. The main point behind Federalist 10 is that having those diverse viewpoints in a Republican form of government will bring out a more liberty-oriented system, ultimately not removing the faction, but controlling its effects. Do you see how we are losing more and more liberty? We feel the majority rule is more prevalent in our lives. That's because as the liberty goes away, it's easier for that faction to survive and harder to control the effects. And there are questions you have to ask yourself. If you believe in abolishing the electoral college, do you also reject republicanism as a form of government? Or do you reject the US Senate? Because they are an example of republicanism, giving equal representation to each state. Parity is, by design, key to our federal system. Article 5 of the Constitution notes that no state without its consent shall be deprived of this equal suffrage in the Senate. Without the disproportionate representation of the Senate and the Electoral College, states like Vermont and Rhode Island would not have viewed the Constitution as a path towards a more perfect union. Alrighty, last but definitely not least, love it or hate it time, I'm going to go over a few of the headlines over the last week or so And give it a love it or hate it. You'll know which one because President Trump will be helping me out. He will shout out the love it or hate it. First up, we have Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. Of course, she has added another commonly used tactic by the Democrats, and that is pandering she just decided to change the way she was speaking based on who was in front of her. We've seen this before with Barack Obama, for example. He was always very smooth speaking until getting in front of an audience who is predominantly black. AOC is the same, apparently. Here's some audio. This is what organizing looks like. This is what building power looks like. This is what changing the country looks like. It's when we choose to show up and occupy the room and talk about the things that matter most, talking about our future. You know, Reverend, you bring up a a funny anecdote, and I'm proud to be a bartender. Ain't nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with working retail, folding clothes for other people to buy. There is nothing wrong with preparing the food that your neighbors will eat. There is nothing wrong with driving the buses that take your family to work. (laughs) This is so obvious. I can't believe people let these politicians get away with this kind of thing when it's uh, clear as day how she's changing her attitude when in front of a certain group of people. You know what? Actually, I have some similar audio of someone doing the same thing. Take a listen. Kenny McCormick, he was a playful school-going eight-year-old, and then yesterday... He was smacked down by the Lord. God bleep slapped him right to the fiery depths of hell. So when will you go? Tomorrow? Ten years? Does it matter? No, because unless you give this life to the Lord, that life belongs to Satan. <gasps> that, of course, is Eric Cartman. <laughs> anyway, due to how ridiculous this is and how it's become a common theme in our politics, it gets a I hate it cultural misappropriation at its finest. Next, we have a really scary situation that happened with a New York Trump supporter and Democrat representative, Ilhan Omar. We've been talking about her a lot on the show. A 55-year-old New York resident was arrested on Friday by the FBI for threatening to kill Ilhan Omar of Minnesota in a phone call last month. This idiot placed a call to Omar's office and said to the worker, Do you work for the Muslim Brotherhood? Why are you working for her? She's an expletive terrorist. I'll put a bullet in her expletive skull. If found guilty... This guy could face up to 10 years in prison and look we disagree on policy with ilhan omar absolutely but there is no place for this at all this guy doesn't fall in line with any legitimate political stance and he shouldn't be looked like looked at like he does you win people over by taking the high road presenting your argument and listening to the other side which is something we've forgotten on both sides this person is garbage and therefore he gets a, I hate it. For our last headline of the show, Bernie Sanders, who has called President Trump out over tax returns, still hasn't released his own. Okay, now that Russiagate is over with, we can focus on Trump not turning over his tax returns, right? Because there's always another line of attack here. This is the literal definition of being a hypocrite, Bernie. You can't call for a rule to apply to someone when it doesn't apply to you. Will you release 10 years of your tax returns? As you know, Elizabeth Warren has decided to do that. Yes. What, what was the delay? Why haven't you done that so far? Well, you know, the delay is, is not... It'll, it'll bore... Our tax returns will bore you to death. It's simply... A mech- nothing special about them. It just was a mechanical issue. We don't have accountants at home. My wife does most of it, and we will get that stuff out. So when do you think we'll be able to see your tax returns? Sooner than later. Well, what does that mean? Soon. So soon. There you have it. Soon. We'll get his tax returns soon. And there, so there's nothing special about your tax returns, Bernie? Really? So what the hell will you see in Trump's that we wouldn't see in yours? And it still ain't, ain't out yet, a month later after this interview. Could there be a contradiction between his political views and his own life? Nah. I love it! Alright, that is all the time we have for today. Thank you for joining me once again in the Liberty Layer. I will be out of town next week, and I will not have a show next Monday, and Alex will be doing the Friday show by himself. We will update you on what will be happening on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, so make sure you follow us by searching the Liberty or Death podcast on each of those platforms. Thank you for being here. Have a good week. This is The Aaron Strom Show.